Hey, this is Pastor Jeff Workmeister of Elevate Church, and welcome to our podcast. I want to thank you for listening today. I hope this inspires you, encourages you, and builds your faith. Enjoy the podcast. Hey, we are in a great series uh, called Break the Cycle, and uh, we're talking about how the enemy gets us into cycles because he wants to interrupt God's plans for our life. And I've said that week after week, and I just keep hearing heaven say, yes, I have plans. I have plans for your life. You're not here by chance. You're not here today by chance. And every single person in this room here today, God has a great plan and a great desire for your life. And the enemy, he wants to interrupt those things. He wants to interrupt the plan uh, to grow your relationship with Jesus. He wants to make you feel unqualified so you feel like God can't use you. And he definitely wants to hinder victory in your life, okay? Because we understand and know that once you find victory in Jesus Christ, what happens? You will share that victory with everybody, And the victory will not be yours, but it will be for other people also. Amen? So I have Lukey on stage with me. Let me put this over here real quick. And uh, when I was a little boy, like Lukey, can you put that picture up of me when I was little? I mean, it's like I, it's like I had a helmet. My hair was just like a helmet, okay? It was just a buffer, okay? <laughs> what do you think of that guy? <laughs> He's like, I don't get this. But listen, when I was Luke's age, um, like I said earlier, I grew up with my grandparents. My, uh, my dad took off when I was little, and uh, my mom just... Had some stuff going on in her life, and so I grew up my grandparents. And my grandparents were my mom and dad. And um, every night um, would end the same way. My grandpa had um, a big lazy boy chair. Come here, Lukey. Come. And I know this isn't a lazy boy, but every night would end with me in his lap, just like this, okay? Put up that picture of me and Luke way back in the day. Okay, and um, and I try really hard to this day to make sure that each night that's how the night ends. Now Michael's 15, so he doesn't sit in my lap anymore. Okay, but I don't care how old he is; he will give me a hug. I will kiss his head. I will tell him I love him. Okay, and so when I was Luke's age. Uh, every night would end like this. And um, just like last night, what did we watch last night? Do you remember what we watched? Bulls. The Bulls, yep. We watched the Chicago Bulls, okay? So last night, me and Lukey, we were sitting together watching the Bulls, and I would sit with my grandpa, and he would pull me back like this, and then he would take my face. Now, my face isn't rough now, but he would rub my face <laughs> against his face. Like he had those, you know, whiskers. You know how like when you get older, like you could shave five times a day, okay? That was my grandpa, okay? And every day would end with him just kissing my head three times, like, like that. And then he, whew. 
And then he would just tell me how much he loved me. And that's how my nights ended. Can you give it up for Lukey, everybody? Get real loud. I'm going to go back to class. Okay, go find mine. So when I was like nine, I had a, I had a baseball bat. And, um, and my favorite thing to do, one of my favorite things to do was I would throw up a ball, hit the tennis ball, you know, out into the street or whatever and go chase it down. We, we had a station wagon, okay? Anybody grew up at a station wagon, okay? All right, we went everywhere in the station wagon, okay? I mean, talk about no seatbelt days back then. You know what I mean? Like, you just roll around in the back, you know, as the car was going down the road. And I remember my grandpa would tell me, like, hey, you got to get away from the car. You know what I mean? Because I had that total, like, Ken Griffey, you know what I mean? Pull it all the way back, all the way back swing, you know? And um, one day I'm out there, and, you know, I'm throwing the ball, hitting it, coming all the way through. And I didn't realize how close I was to the car. And I threw up the ball and I came through and the bat hits the back windshield, okay? And, you know, my heart just dropped. And I looked at the windshield and it was fine. And I was like, oh, thank God, you know? And so I run out into the street, I get my tennis ball and then I run back and the back window is just like spiderweb. You know what I mean? Just shattered, okay? And so I went inside, and my grandma was taking a nap, and I woke her up, and I said, ah, I just broke the car window. And she was like, is this serious? <laughs> you know? And I was like, yes, it's very serious. You know what I mean? In my nine-year-old way or whatever. And she said, go to your room and lock the door, okay? And I was like, oh God, what's gonna happen? You know? And she went and told, you know, my grandpa. And, um, and then like the strangest thing happened. My grandpa didn't talk to me for three days. I don't know if any of you had like, tough dads, like, my grandpa was incredibly loving, but he was also incredibly just, he was just a man's man, just tough dude, and he didn't talk to me for three days, and, you know, growing up, I, I didn't really fear anything. When, when you have that kind of love built into you, what do you fear? It's just, the only thing I feared was tornadoes, Okay. <laughs> I watched The Wizard of Oz, you know what I mean? Listen, if a tornado siren went off, I thought it was the end of the world, okay? I literally thought the house was gonna be blown away, okay? So I didn't really fear anything. But for the first time in life, I felt fear because I remember I could hear my grandma tell my grandpa what happened and he, um, he would like paint uh, horses. I don't know if this makes any sense, like glass horses. And I remember I just heard a horse break, and he threw it at the fireplace. He was just so mad. 
And, um, and he didn't talk to me for three days. And I remember the, the, the time after those three days. I remember walking to him. Like, I can remember it. It's like burned into my memory. Any of you have moments like that in your life where it's just burned? Like, I, I remember, like, do you remember, like, old school cable boxes? Like, back in the 80s, they were, like, square. And it was like, I, I, I remember the station. It was station 13, okay? I, I, I can remember everything. Like, it was like the walk of shame, you know what I mean? Like I'm walking to my grandfather and this is what I'm thinking. Will he forgive me? And I mean, I probably didn't have that thought at nine years old, but that's the feeling. Will he forgive me? Will he give me his love again? It was the first time in my life that I had really felt what it felt like to feel unworthy and to feel fear. I had never feared him before. My whole entire life, all I did is run and jump into his lap. We watched sports together. We talked about the world. I mean, he was my best friend. And for the first time, it was like, I felt fear. And I think that this is where many of us are in our relationship with the Lord. We're questioning, will he forgive me? Will I receive his love again? Because remember our cycle, okay? We've been talking about this, and we talk about how the enemy gets us into a place of hopelessness, right? Where we feel hopeless about life, we feel hopeless about situations, we feel hopeless about things that are happening in our life, and then it takes us from hopelessness to temptation, and so we get into a place of temptation, we get into sin, and then sin takes us to guilt, and it takes us to shame, and then it leads us to this place called unworthy and fear, and then it just takes us back to this place called hopeless, right? And so we, and, and this is what's really interesting to me about the church, okay, and a lot of us have grown up in the church and a lot of us have been in many churches and many church settings before. Many of us in this room here today, many of us, for us, this is really where we live a lot of our life, okay? Because we know, we know that Jesus forgives us when we have temptation and we have sin. And the enemy will take us to guilt and shame for a while, but we know because we know a few like verses, we know like Romans 8 tells us that there's no guilt and shame in Christ Jesus, okay? But this is where the enemy really plays with the church, is this place called unworthy and fear. And so we're gonna talk about that today, okay? Go with me to Luke chapter 15. We're gonna look at verse, a bunch of different verses, but we're just gonna be in that that passage today. Luke chapter 15, this is a story of the prodigal son, but really this is a story of two sons. And it says, Jesus said, once there was a father with two sons, the youngest son came to the father and said, Father, don't you think it's time to give me the share of your estate that belongs to me? So the father went ahead and just distributed it among the two sons, their inheritance. We need to understand something about this first part of the story. The first thing we need to understand is in, in mid-Middle Eastern culture, this request to the father was a great offense, okay? They were basically saying to the father, 
I wish you were dead so I didn't have to deal with you anymore and I could have my money and I can go do what I want, okay? And really, this is the heart of man. The heart of man always says, I want God's love and I want his mercy, but I still want to do what I want to do. I still want to live life how I feel like I want to live life or how I feel culture tells me to live life. The second thing we see in this is this. We see firsthand that our God we serve is a God of free will, right? Isn't it interesting in the story that it says that the father gives him his request? This is us showing us exactly the garden. It's showing us exactly free will that God goes, I'll let you choose. You can choose to follow your lust, your greed, your own passions, desires, pride of life, or you can choose to follow me. It's your choice. Verse 13, shortly afterwards, the son packed up all of his belongings and traveled off to see the world. Isn't that interesting that uh, me and Jess were talking about this right now? Like, this is a really big thing in culture. It's like sell everything, go buy a van, go get an RV, go travel the world, go do you. And I told Jess, I think it's interesting because like the world just glorifies this like idea and thought, and especially when you're young. It's like, you're young, go do you, go be you. And I told Jess, I said, you know what's interesting to me is this. It is such a selfish point of view. It's all about you. It's all about your world. It's all about your thoughts. It's all about what you want to do. And it has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. Oh, man, I'm going to step on some toes today. You're like, but I want to go to France. What's wrong with that? It's all right for three weeks. But then come back home. You got a mission on your life. And we're going to talk about that today. He journeyed off to a far-off land, where he soon wasted everything that was given to him in extravagance and reckless living. With everything spent and nothing left, he grew hungry, for there was a severe famine in the land. Isn't it interesting that you never know when 2020 is gonna hit? Right? You don't know. We don't know. But if you're connected to the Lord, if you're tied into the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be just fine. Verse 15. So he begged a farmer in the country to hire him. The farmer hired him and sent him out to feed the pigs. The son was so famished that he was willing to eat the slop given to the pigs because no one would feed him a thing. Now, this is degrading for anybody. I mean, come on, look, really think about it. Like, I know that like some of you think that pigs are cute. They're not cute, okay? They're nasty animals, all right? Okay, all right? And so can you imagine like feeding them and living with them? Like living, like that's where you sleep. That's where you eat, okay? Now this is degrading for anybody, but you gotta understand in Jewish culture, they are not even allowed to raise swine. So this idea that a Jewish son is now living in the slap with pigs. What is it? It's guilt and shame, right? Temptation, guilt, shame. We're in the cycle. Verse 17, humiliated, the son finally realized what, was, what he was going to do and he thought to himself, 
There are many workers in my father's home and they have all the food they want and plenty to spare. Lacking nothing, why am I here dying of hunger, feeding these pigs and eating their slop? I want to go back to my father's house and I will say to him, I want you to underline this. I want you to highlight this part right here, okay? Father, I was wrong. I've sinned against you. I'll never be worthy of being called your son. Please, Father, treat me like one of your employees. Has anybody ever been humiliated before? Everybody's like, no, not me. I'm just that cool, okay? When I was in high school, um, I was on the swim team for a hot minute, okay? Can you imagine Pastor Jeff on the swim team, okay? Just imagine all this, but like 60 pounds skinnier, you know what I mean? And uh, my aunt and uncle, because I grew up, I lived with my aunt and uncle after my grandparents, they wouldn't let me wear a Speedo, okay? That was like a thing, okay? So I had to wear like shorty shorts, okay? Just the shorty shorts you could ever think about in your life, okay? And so one day I go to practice early in the morning, five o'clock in the morning, super early practice, and I don't know about you, so I know we have some early risers in the house, and God bless you, we, we love you, I really don't like you, okay? It's not me, okay? So, like, in the mornings, it's like digging through the dark, trying to get all your stuff together. You get to practice, you get into this freezing cold pool, and you swim, and then you get out, and you come to your locker, and you're getting ready for a day, and so I'm at my locker, and I'm like, dang, totally forgot underwear today. Like, just totally, totally forgot. And I had, like, my basketball shorts for practice later that day for basketball practice. And so I was like, I guess it's just this. You know what I mean? And so, so I'm at lunch. And how many of you remember the days of pantsing people, okay? Just like, like, just pantsing people, okay? Like, I was in that season of life, okay? Like, I mean, that's just, that's just the life of a 17-year-old boy. You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to pants you. What else is there to do in life? How great is this, you know? So I'm at lunch. I have my tray. I mean, like all the lockers surround the lunchroom, and I'm just walking with my food, and then all of a sudden, whoosh. And the worst, this is the worst part. The worst part was the shorts, like, trip me. You know how, like, you can get tripped? So they trip me. And I fell just naked as a jaybird, you know what I mean? Into my food, okay? How do you press restart on that day? You know what I mean? It's just like, that's just, you gotta own that moment, you know what I mean? So I just, I just slowly stood up, pulled up my shorts, and was like, all right, I guess that just happened, you know what I mean? Totally humiliated. You're like, where are we going with this, Pastor Jeff? All right, point number one is this. The enemy wants to keep you in a place of humiliation. Always. And what's interesting is we're really good at hiding our stuff. And so we hide it to church people, and church people, we're all nice to one another, and so we don't really humiliate each other together, but the way the enemy keeps us in this continual place is this, he lies to us, like this. Have you ever heard this lie from him where he goes, how could God forgive you again, right? How could he possibly forgive you again? Or maybe you've heard this one, you're the worst Christian of all time. I know I've heard that before. 
just feeling completely unworthy. Like, how could I ever worship Jesus right now after the week that I just had? Right? Or how about this? I thought you were beyond that. I thought you were beyond jealousy. Right? And the enemy, what's he doing? He's humiliating you. He's making you feel what? Completely unworthy. To get you to where? To fear. Point number two is this. Is this, I'll never be worthy. Did you catch the wording from the son? The son says this, I'll never. I always tell people, don't ever say never to God. Okay, don't ever. I'll never forget, we were flying down to Mississippi. It was our first job interview ever. We were gonna you know, interview to be youth pastors and we're flying into Mississippi and I'm from Chicago and I'm flying over to state of Mississippi and all I see is trees. All I see is woods. I don't see any buildings. I don't see anything cool. And we're like landing and I looked to Jess and I was like, I am never gonna live here, okay? Yeah, right, you know what I mean? God has different plans. So he says, I never will be worthy of being called your son. The enemy wants us to believe. Believe what? The lie that after you have hopelessness and sin and guilt and shame, now you will never be worthy of God's love ever again. He wants to keep you in a place of fear, that I fear God, that if I fear God, then I feel like I have to earn my place at the table. Isn't that interesting? Like, as a family, you don't earn your dinner. You're just part of the family. So you just pull up a seat because you are a son or you're a daughter and you have confidence that this is your family. But when you feel like God is angry with you, then you feel like, God, I have to earn my way back into your grace and love. Or how about this? He always wants to keep us in a place of fear of his judgment. I mean, I legit thought growing up like God just one day was gonna lightning bolt me. You know what I mean? Like the Bible talks about the lightning of God. And I'm like, yep, that's me someday for sure, okay? And you fear that God is always perpetually angry and frustrated at you. James chapter one, verse six says this. But when you ask him, when you're asking God for something, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver for a person who has divided loyalties. They are as unstable as the waves of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world and they are unstable in everything they do. So here's how this works. When we fear God, when we feel unworthy and we fear God, when we go to him and we pray and we're like, hey God, we have this situation with this relationship in my life and it really needs your grace and I really need some wisdom and I really need your help to forgive this person. When we go to him, and we, but we go to him with unworthiness and fear, right? So we start the conversation with God like this. God, I know I don't deserve your help. God, I know you're frustrated with me. God, I know you're disappointed with me. I know you're disappointed in what I've said, what I've done. And this is how we start our conversation. And we're starting our conversation in what? Fear, right? And I know it's real quiet in here. Everybody's like, 
how do you know my prayer life? Because <laughs> I've been there. So you start with fear and not faith. What does the word say? The Lord is a rewarder of those who come to him in faith. So when I go to him in fear, my loyalty is divided between God and the world because the world tells me what? I have to earn God's love. But faith tells me that he's already forgiven me and he loves me, right? So the enemy will fight to keep us in a place that we believe what? Things that God has not spoken about us. Do you know how many times people tell me they're like quoting the Bible? And I'm like, that's not in the Bible. <laughs> that's, that's not God. That's not who he is. That's not his nature. That's not his character. That's not who God is at all. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. We'll have it on the screen for you. So that those who live, us who live, okay, should no longer live lives selfishly absorbed, okay? But live lives that are poured out for him, Jesus, like we were talking about in worship, that we are pouring out our lives to Jesus and giving our lives to him and to him alone. That no one, for the one who died for us, now lives again, okay? Verse 16, so then, from now on, we have a new perspective that refuses to evaluate people merely by their outward appearance. Can I get an amen from anybody on that, okay? That is not how we view people. And I've always said that about Elevate Church. We don't care where you're from. We don't care your background. We don't care what's happened in your life. We don't judge you. You're never gonna receive judgment from us. You're gonna receive God's love and his grace. For this is how we once viewed Jesus but no longer do we see him with limited human insight. Now, if anyone is enfolded into Christ, another version says this, now if anyone belongs to Christ, okay, he has become an entirely new creation. All that is related to the old has vanished. So what does this really mean? What does it mean that I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus? It means this, that your old identity, I used to have this old identity, they called me Jeff Shademeister, okay? Yeah. They, yeah, yeah. They said I was the shadiest person that you'd ever meet, okay? I would just lie to your face, and I would, okay? You know, if we had plans and something better came up, you better believe I'm not hanging out with you. I'm going to do something better, okay? That was my old identity, okay? What does this mean? It means that our life in sin, our life in lust and greed and me first and selfish ambitions, the power of Satan. I remember when I first got saved. Anybody remember when you first got saved and you had a temptation and you knew the Lord wanted to set you free from it? And like when you would get close to that temptation, it would almost be like you physically shook because you could feel the power of hell pressing into your flesh. How about the works of religious things? I remember when I was not serving the Lord and I was in deep sin and I was just doing whatever I wanted, but I still had this sense like, I need to please God. 
I remember I would like, I would show up to church drunk. Because I just thought, man, I got to be here on Sunday mornings. I remember I would serve in the kids' ministry because I was like, I got to earn God's love. I got to earn something with him. A relationship with the world, God's different thoughts. Listen, all of this, all of this is what? It's just gunk, right? It's just, it's like, how many of you remember Nickelodeon? Any Nickelodeon people in the house? Remember the slime zone? Okay, okay. This is what that is. It's like you walk into church with all this slime and gunk and junk on you. But then the Lord goes, I want you to remember, okay? It's like Simba and, and Mufasa. And, you know, Mufasa's in the clouds. And he's like, remember, you know what I mean? God goes, I need you to remember something, okay? I need you to remember it. Anyone who belongs to Christ, anybody who belongs to Christ, even if you're in the cycle, you still belong to me. I paid for you. I bled for you. I gave my life for you. So even if you are in temptation or guilt or shame or unworthy or fear, he goes, I want anybody to remember this. If you are in me, you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's what he says. And he goes, listen, he goes, I didn't just reformat you. What is happening is this. Jesus is making you a brand new person. It might take some time. Praise God for the journey. I always say this, I'm gonna be better when I'm 70, right? I'm not gonna be that mean, harsh dude when I'm 70. Why? Because the power of Jesus Christ, the power of the word of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. There is a reason why we want you to be in his presence. There's a reason why we value worship. There's a reason why we value the presence of God because we know in the presence of God, he will remake you. He'll reshape your thoughts. He'll reshape your passions. He'll reshape your heart. You'll start looking at your life and the world and people in a completely different perspective. Why? Because when you're in Christ Jesus, when you're in him, he doesn't call you to be perfect. But when you're in him, the Holy Spirit is working in your life and he's making a brand new Jeff. He's making a brand new Darren. He's making a brand new Christy. He's making a brand new Christian. He's making a brand new person. He goes, the old you, the old you, that's in the past. We buried that person. I love water baptism. Man. I love burying the old man. Raising up to new life. The new creation in Christ Jesus. And I understand that we're not perfect after we get baptized. That's okay. See, that's such a lie of the enemy. Can we just talk about that for just one second? It is such a lie of the enemy to get you to believe that you are gonna be perfect. There was only one person that was perfect, and that was Jesus Christ. All you have to do is stay real close to Jesus, right? And all you gotta keep is in this perspective that God doesn't see me as unworthy. 
Listen, God made a new covenant. God made covenants with Abraham. He made covenants with, with Noah and Israel. But then Jesus said, hey, I'm coming to make a new covenant with you. And the covenant is what? The blood of Jesus Christ. And you live under the blood of Jesus Christ. And you live in Jesus' crazy love. Worship to me, you guys can come up. Point number three is this. Jesus' love is crazy. Verse 20, Luke chapter 15. So the younger son sent off for home from a long distance away. You know what I love that it says, long distance away? Because it means this, that the father was looking for the son. The father cared about the son. So you don't understand in Jewish culture when a, when a son would leave home like this, they would actually, I've talked about this in the past, they would actually take a pot. There was this pot that they would take out to the edge of town, the father, and the father would slam the pot down and they would excommunicate the son from coming back home. But Jesus is showing a different father. He's not showing an earthly father. He's showing a heavenly father. And the heavenly father is looking intently down the road for his sons and his daughters. See, you think when you feel unworthy and you're fearful of God and you're in guilt and shame, you think that God wants nothing to do with you. And it's the farthest thing from the truth. When you're in that, Jesus is intently looking for you. He's intently looking. He looks, I'm not saying that Mackenzie's in this, okay? But he's looking for Mackenzie. He goes, where's my son? Where's my daughter? Right? What happened in the garden? Remember the garden? Remember Adam and Eve, they sin and they hide from God. But what does God do? He comes to be with his children. He's looking for his children. He wants you to be close to him. He wants you to know his love. He wants you to know the depths of his grace. He wants you to know the depths of his mercy. He wants you to remember that you are a new person in him. Man, and he saw his son coming dressed as a beggar and great compassion swelled up in his heart for his son had returned home so the father raced anytime you mess up I want you to get a picture of Jesus racing towards you running to you he's running to pick you up he's running to pick up the pieces of your life he's running to you and he raced to him and he swept him up in his arms and he hugged him dearly and kissed him over and over with tender love and then the son has this moment that we all have 
because we're in guilt and shame and fear, right? So we come to God and we go, God, I know I'll never be worthy. God, I know I'll never deserve your love. God, I know I'm such a failure. God, I know I'm such a screw up. God, I know. And this is what the son does. Verse 21, the son looks to the father and he goes, I was wrong. I sinned against you. I could never deserve to be called your son. Just let me. And then the father just shuts him down. The son goes, just, he, he's going, I'll just be a worker. And the father shuts him down. And the father goes, son, you're home. My grandpa didn't talk to me for three days. Three days. And I'm walking as a kid. I'll never forget. I walked through the kitchen and he's in his chair and he's in the, in the living room. And I remember there wasn't a whole of lights on. He was watching, I think it was uh, the Lone Ranger. He was watching the Lone Ranger. And I walked in and I'm like, you know, like that. You're like, you're tiptoeing because you feel unworthy and you have fear. And I'm fearfully walking to him. And I'm like, I remember even as like a nine-year-old boy, I'm trying to think of what do I say? What do I say? How do I apologize? What do I say to him? And I'm walking to him. And I'm about... I'm about to say something. And he grabbed me. And I, I was so fearful. I thought like, oh, he's going to beat me right now. Like my beating's coming. And he grabbed me and he threw me on his lap. And he just hugged me. And he started to kiss my head. And I just melted. I just melted. I just melted into his love and his grace. See, what I really, really longed for during those three days, the thing that I was missing was what? His approval. I missed his approval. When you feel unworthy and fearful, you're going, God, do you approve of me? God, do you love me still? God, do you still feel the same way towards me? And this whole story, God's going, I'm running to you because I want you to know you're approved. You're my son and you're my daughter. 